Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. Check back weekly to stay up to date with what God is doing here in the life of our church. To learn more information, you can find us online at sturkey.church. Our prayer here at the church at Sturkey Hills is that you are moved by this message. Guys, thanks for tuning in and have a blessed week. As you're seated, you can find your way in your Bible or on your device to Nehemiah chapter 10. And to find Nehemiah, you can find Psalms and then go back about three books and you'll run into Nehemiah. We're trekking through this amazing book of God building something amazing, a miraculous project, that, and he utilizes the people that he's created. And the good news is today is that that was written 2,500 years ago, and God has not changed. He's still on his throne. You are still the apple of his eye. You are the pinnacle of his creation. There is nothing else that he created that he breathed his life into but you. And that makes you special. More special than your cat. More special as if a cat is special, just saying. More special than that frilly little dog you have. More special than the stars of the sky. More special than anything. He created you and you are the apex of his creation. And he wants to engage you and deploy you in his kingdom agenda. Now that's just really cool. That the God of everything would choose to use the likes of us. And so it is at all different capacities, at all different times, and he's gifted you to accomplish the purpose and the goal that he has for your life. And you may not know right now what that gift is, but I'm telling you when, you, when you are born again, when Jesus gives you new birth and the Holy Spirit of God comes in and seals you and fills you, he brings things with him called gifts. Now, you may have not pursued that gift. You may have not surrendered to that gift, but they're in you. And look at your neighbor and say, you're a gifted person. Yeah. You're a gifted person, and he wants to use and utilize those gifts for his kingdom. Now, 2,500 years ago, there's a guy named Nehemiah, and he is, uh, he's risen to uh, uh, this, this great position as food tester for the king. He's hanging out in Susa, the, the, the citadel, uh, the, the resort for the rich and famous, and uh, God comes in the middle of his comfort zone, and that's how he does, and he says, listen. This is all good. You've been trained. You've been exposed to greatness. But it's time that I utilize you and use you for greatness. I need you to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls and the gates because they're exposed. And it burdened in him. I mean, it birthed a vision in him that's something bigger than he was. And so he pursued that. And he followed God's goal, and he went back to Jerusalem and began to build this wall. He convinced and led the people of Israel uh, to build this wall in 52 days. It's nothing short of a miracle. And once they're inside, they could have sat down and celebrated what great victories God had done, but they didn't. They, they said, okay, what can we do to keep from going back to where we came from? And, and so... Nehemiah began to pray. First they said, Ezra, we want you to come and read. And he read the Bible for five hours. And they would fast and they separated themselves uh, from those around them. And, and we talked about last week. Sometimes you just need to trim your circle. You need to look at those people who are coming into your world. And there's people in your world right now. Every single one of you, and myself included, there's people in your circle 
that the enemy wants to use to move you further from God and not closer to God. You need to trim that circle. You can love them, but love them at a distance. Just tell them, back up just a little bit because you're moving me away from where I need to be. And so Nehemiah had his people separate themselves. Now, what, why was he so intense, so serious, fasting, praying, trimming his circle? Why was he so serious about that? Because he tracked in his prayer, the longest prayer in the whole Bible, Nehemiah chapter 9. And he tracked the nation of Israel. And it looked like this vicious cycle, rebellion, repentance, restoration, repeat. Rebellion, repentance, restoration, repeat. And the only thing common in that whole equation was the faithfulness of God and their own unfaithfulness. And so Nehemiah finally raises up and he says, hey, enough is stinking enough. Okay, we're going to change something. We're not going to keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. We want to stay in this place where we're under the good hand of our Father, where His favor is upon us. What can we do so we don't go back to that place of bondage and slavery? Because it feels good to be where God wants you to be. Now listen to me. Maybe you've never really, really experienced that place, that moment, that time where you are under the, the good hand of favor of our Father God. Maybe you've never experienced an intimate touch from God and, and, and you don't, it's foreign to you. It sounds good, but you've never personally experienced that. Let me just tell you something. There is no drug, there is no beverage, there is no relationship, there is no material possession that can ever compare to when you are in the place where you're under the favor of God, found obedient to his word. And so that's where Nehemiah and the people were, and they did not want to lose that. So Nehemiah says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to write this thing down. We're going to bring everybody in, all of the leaders, all of the people, the general public. We're going to bring everybody in. We're writing this thing down. We're going to sign our name to it. We're going to seal it, and we're going to see to it that it gets accomplished. It's good stuff. It's good stuff because 2,500 years ago, man's word is just like it is today. It ain't worth a whole lot, you know? And so uh, he says, let's get this in writing. And so that is the title of the message, Can I Get It in Writing? Now, the... We talked about there's five things that Nehemiah led the nation of Israel to do in writing, making a covenant with God. And the first one was a faithfulness to God on the back of your worship guide. The first point we covered last week is a faithfulness to God through his word. In chapter 10, verse 29, the second part, which is B, uh, he says to obey carefully all the commandments of the Lord our Lord along with his ordinances and his statutes. They said, we're going to live by this book. And I'm just going to tell you, you may not live by this book. Your life is in crisis. This is the book of truth. This is the Bible, basic instruction, instructions before leaving earth. It tells you everything you need to know to live a God-honoring, productive, fulfilling life. You don't have to go by this book. You can go by what you get from Google. You can go by what you get from your friends. You can go by what you have in your own brilliant mind. You can go by what you hear in your school. Or you can go by this book. It's your choice. And, 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 but I'm telling you, when we live by this book, God will bless your life. The second thing is we have to have a new family commitment. In, in verse 30, Nehemiah, in his covenant, he writes this, We will not give our daughters in marriage to the neighboring peoples. We will not take our daughters in marriage for 
our sons. It's a big statement. You say, what's that got to do with anything today? It means this. We will raise our families and, and, and just like God has ordained for us to raise our family. You'll remember last week I, I showed you some family portraits from a, a local uh, photographer here, Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, portraits, family portraits. You can go by there, put a coin in there, and get you a family portrait. Okay? And we have to be serious about our families. We have to be committed, husbands, to our wives. Wives, we have to be committed to our husbands. Parents, we have to be committed to our children. Grandparents, we need to help our, our, our uh, sons and daughters and sons-in-laws and daughter-in-laws to help them raise their children in admonition of the Lord. And so number two was family commitment. Now we're moving into brand new turf. Number three, a fervency about the Lord's day. Look at your neighbor and say, Sunday matters. It matters, man. It matters. It matters, listen to me, to God. In this world we live in, it doesn't matter so much anymore. Used to, people hated to miss now people find reasons to miss. Used to, Sunday was serious. It was the Lord's day. Today, it's just another day. And anything that comes up could root out God and his day. You say, well, are you sure this is the Lord's day? Because in the Shabbat, the Sabbath, isn't that the sixth day? Yes, it is. And that's the Hebrew sixth day. That's the celebration of rest. When God created the heavens and the earth in six literal days, on the seventh day, he rested. And so he ordained in the Old Testament the, the, the last day of the week, Saturday, to be the holy day. It's a commandment. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. In the New Testament... The early church celebrated Jesus' resurrection. And so we worship on Sunday, the first day, the new day of a new week, recognizing the resurrection, recognizing that we're free, we've been liberated by grace, we're no longer under the law. So we worship on Sunday. Sunday is our Lord's day. Now listen what it says in verse 31. It says, we will not buy on the Sabbath or on a holy day from the neighboring peoples, who bring their wares and all kinds of grain to sell on the Sabbath day. We will let the fields lie fallow every seventh year. Now, this is one of those passages where a preacher kind of gets to get up on his soapbox, okay? Because it's Sunday, and I'm delighted. I am ecstatic that you're here this morning. The question is, were you here last week? The question is, will you be back next week? Whether it's here or somewhere else, will you be found in the Lord's house on the Lord's day? You see, the nation of Israel had moved away from celebrating rest on the Sabbath day. It had become just another day of the week, man. We got to work. I got things I need to do. I've got to go here. I've got to go there. I've got a tournament. I've got... Uh, I've got to go fishing. I got to go hunting. I need to go to a vacation. I need to visit with friends. My children are tired because we let them stay up till two in the morning. The list was long for Israel. Okay, now you're thinking Israel. They didn't have all that. No, but we do. But let me tell you something. Just because they didn't have what we have, does not mean they didn't act like we act. Okay. The Sabbath to them had become uh, less than what God intended. It had become just another day. And we live in a culture today, church, listen. And, and, and you, you can leave today and say, yeah, he stepped on my toes. Well, good, that ain't me. 
That's the Holy Spirit of God stepping on your toes. So you need to get some of those special metatarsal Holy Spirit avoiding shoes, okay? So the Sunday is a special day before God. And you need to be found in the church on Sunday. I don't care to tell you. It's important. We live in a culture where that's moved and shifted. I was raised in a culture where we went to church every Sunday. I mean, I, had a, I tell people I had a drug problem growing up. My parents drug me to church all the time. My mom would practice the piano. She would dra drag me and my three brothers down there, okay? My dad would count the money because he was a deacon on Sunday after church. He would drag us back down there for that. And, and all the while, we didn't know it, and I don't know that they necessarily knew it, but all the while, God was planting seeds in us that would one day germinate. And spin the timetable forward, and here we are today. I'm a preacher. I have a brother who's an ordained minister. I have uh, another brother who's actively involved as a deacon in his church, and I have a fourth brother who's serving in his church. It works, and I'm telling you, it still works. It's 2019, and parents, you raise your children in church. It will, will it mean, does it mean they're perfect? No, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You ain't either. Okay, but it means in their imperfection, it'll be better. It means the fall that they have won't be as great as it would be if that's not embedded in them. We look for every reason in the world to miss church. You see, the Sabbath in the Old Testament meant this. You had to prepare your meals on Friday. You didn't even cook on the Shabbat. You didn't go anywhere on the Sabbath you didn't buy anything you didn't sell anything or that's the way it was supposed to be now I'm an old guy but when I was a kid you didn't eat out for lunch after church on Sunday you didn't go fill up the tank with gas you didn't swing by the grocery store get a loaf of bread that you forgot on Saturday you didn't do nothing because it was closed now that's how old I am okay it's not that far removed Okay, you sure didn't have a tournament on Sunday or Wednesday. If you played ball, that was taboo. Your coach was of the devil if he scheduled something on Sunday. I'm just going to tell you, he's going straight to hell, scheduling a tournament on Sunday. Okay, I'm just telling you, that's the, way, that's the world I lived in. It's a good world, just saying. I'm not judging the coach for going to hell, but maybe he was. I don't know. That's between him and Jesus. All right? Now, here's the thing. Things have changed. Things have changed. So there needs to be a fervency about the Lord's day. Martin Luther, the reformer, said this, to gather with God's people in united adoration of the Father is as necessary to the Christian life as prayer itself. I hear regularly, I can be a Christian and not go to church. Listen to your pastor, listen to the preacher. That's a true statement. You can be a Christian and never go to church. But listen to your preacher the rest of the story. You can't be a good one. Amen? Crickets, okay? You can be a Christian. You can't be a good one. You say, well, that's a little judgmental. Hebrews says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, such as is common with some, and even more so in your assembly as you see the day approaching you know what it means it means the closer we get to the imminent return of Christ for his church the more faithful the more fervent we should be about attending church 
So I'm, I'm a preacher, man. I, I don't care to call you out and encourage you. I think you should be in church. And if you don't like me, that's fine. Some days I don't like me. But find you a church where the Holy Spirit will plant you, get in there and serve the Jesus who you say saved you, and see what God will do in your life, in your family, and in those who are around you. Now, before you, know, before you get your underwear munched up, okay, I, I want to explain. I, I, wanna under, I want you to understand how... Nehemiah, when he wrote this covenant for everybody to sign, to seal, and see it through, I, I want you to see at what level he was, he was in the game. He said, he said listen, we're going to do this thing, and also every seventh year, we're going to get back to that rule of the Old Testament. We're, we're, we're even going to let the land rest from producing the crop every seventh year. Hmm. Wow. Wow. That's trust. That's faith. That's one-seventh of their annual produce. That's one-seventh of their, of their decade. Uh, one-tenth of their decade was given to the Lord. They didn't produce crops in that field. And that's faith. And that's trust. And you say, well, I just don't know if I've got that much trust. Well, I want to give you an example of what it looks like when you trust God with the Sabbath. I want to give you the exponential form of what it looks like because you may feel like you need to give your life to you on the Sabbath. Now, you listen. If you will give your Sabbath, your Sunday, to the Lord, he will bless your other six days. Okay? You say, well, how, how are you going to make that point and prove? Oh, I'm, I, got it. I got it right here. I went this week, and this, this just jumped out on me. I want to show you how you can know that God will honor you when you honor the Sabbath. Here's a good example of somebody that honors the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Amen. That's right. Man, I love me some holy bird. Truett Kathy started a little chicken, little chicken restaurant. Okay. And he gave himself to the Lord. Diehard believer. His family committed and convicted about the word of God and about the Lord's day. So much so that he didn't want his employees to miss church. And he wasn't going to miss church. So he just shut down his little chicken restaurant on the Sabbath. On our Sabbath. On Sunday. The Lord's day. That ain't been that long ago. You know it hadn't been that long ago. You remember when the first one got within 20 miles of you. And, and I, I, I think it's like uh, the cigarette companies. I think their chicken is laced with nicotine or something. Because any day, any time of any day, you go to the Chick-fil-A, two lanes wide. Now they can't even take all the orders on the inside. Got the little boy, little girl standing out front taking your order. You know what I'm talking about. We are holy bird addicts, okay? What is the magnitude of a company that gives one-seventh of their revenue? They sacrifice that on the altar of being fervent and committed to the Lord's church. What does that look like? $750,000 in revenue per store by closing on Sunday. You see, your average Chick-fil-A generates $4.5 million a year in revenue. That's a lot of bird, you know? You say, well, what's the big deal? It is now the number one competitor of McDonald's, the largest fast food franchise in the world. 
Chick-fil-A, according to Forbes magazine, is the number one competitor of McDonald's. By the end of 2019, Chick-fil-A will be the, th the third largest uh, fast food franchise in the world. And it has like a third of the stores of Burger King and half the stores of Wendy's. And it will trump both of those just by selling birds and uh, my pleasure and shutting down on Sunday. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Now, I'm telling you, God will honor your life, your family, your finances, everything about you when you and when I and when we get back to honoring his word when it says the Sabbath is a holy day. The Lord's day is the day I'm setting apart. If somebody calls and says, man, I got a tea time, man, that's great. Make it for 1 o'clock. I'm going to the early service. Make it for 1030. If somebody says, man, I'm going fishing this week. You want to go fishing? I will soon as I finish honoring the Lord on the Lord's day. If somebody says, we need to go on a vacation. Well, I'm going on vacation. I don't need to be gone two Sundays in a row. Listen, there's nothing wrong with a tournament. There's nothing wrong with a hobby. There's nothing wrong with getting called into work because you got an ox in the ditch. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But when it's one after another and we embrace it all at the expense of the Lord's day, you are not walking in the blessing of our good God. You're not under the favor of the Father. Amen, Brother Joel. I'd amen myself, all right? Now, now, I, I just tell you all that. I could go on and on, but time won't let me. I, I just tell you all that because when Nehemiah says we're writing it down and the first one was this book, he didn't have the second half of this book. And the second half of this book is written to the church. First Corinthians to the church at Corinth. First Thessalonians to the church at Thessalonica. Philippians to the believers at Philippi. The book of Revelation to the seven churches. This, God honors the church. Now listen to me. You say, well, I just ain't crazy about the church. Don't you ever say that. Don't you ever say that. Not if you're a believer. If you're lost, you say it all you want to. It reveals your heart. But let me tell you something. Jesus loves the church. And as followers of Jesus, it is imperative that we love the things that Jesus loves. You say, how you know he loves the church? He died to create it, okay? He gave his blood to make the church. And so we're supposed to love the church. Now, I'm, I've heard it. And don't say it to me. Don't say, yeah, I just ain't crazy about the church. Don't you say that. You may not be crazy about something at the church. You, you may not be crazy about somebody at the church. But let me just go ahead and tell you. You can leave and go to another church. There's going to be things about that church that you don't like either because you're looking for something you don't like. Instead of looking for the one you're supposed to love. Mm. If you focus on Jesus, the imperfections of people who follow Jesus will pale in comparison. Stop looking at people. Stop showing up looking for, with your feelings on your shoulder, looking for somebody to knock it off so you can be mad at the church. Go looking for Jesus. And when somebody reveals their true character, that they're backslidden and they do something to hurt your feelings, you just keep pressing on. And keep focusing on Jesus. All right, I'm going to put this up because some of y'all are hungry already. And I just messed y'all up. All right. 
Number four, let's keep going. We gotta have, we have a faithfulness to God, family commitment, fervency to the Lord's day. Fourth, a forgiving spirit. Tell your neighbor you need to forgive them. <laughs> Some of y'all know when you said that, you're like, oh man, I wish I wouldn't have had to say that because they know I'm thinking about that thing that they hadn't forgiven. Okay, you know, or you're thinking, yeah, that's me. Now I gotta tell you, a forgiving spirit is required. It's required of you, it's required of me. And listen what it says here in, uh, in the second part of that same verse, which I don't remember what verse that was. I did not mark it. But listen what it says in the second half of that verse. He says, and we will cancel every loan. You say, what's that got to do with forgiveness? It, when you cancel a loan, you are forgiving a debt. Jesus equated forgiveness and debt because that's easy. It's tangible. It's like if somebody owes you $10 and they're not paying you back and you're getting mad at them and finally you say, listen, you don't have to pay me back. I forgive that debt. And you have a clear heart, a clear conscience about it. That's a beautiful picture of what it means to forgive. Jesus talked about a parable. He, he gave a parable, about the, a parable about the lender. Listen at Luke 7, verse 41. says, two people owed money to a certain money lender. And one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? And so Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Duh. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. So you say, why should I forgive? If you're not a believer, if you haven't been forgiven, you don't have to forgive. But if you've been forgiven by Jesus... If you're born again and your sins are, have been erased by the blood of the cross, you are required to forgive. In fact, Jesus said, as you forgive, so shall you be forgiven. So right now, I'm speaking to every individual in here, particularly to you. Okay, And here's what Jesus wants me to tell you today. You cannot carry that burden of unforgiveness because it will hunt you down it will haunt you, it will ruin your life, and it will destroy your relationship with the one who you say has forgiven you. If you ever need to wonder whether or not you need to forgive or not, buy you one of those just to remind you how much you've been forgiven, and it'll make it a whole lot easier to forgive. I share this story. It's my favorite forgiveness story. Kendra, my wife, and I were having a conversation, one of those conversations. And she said something just brutally of the devil ugly to me. I mean, I mean, it was, I mean, it was the laser right into my soul. I was like, wow. Soon as, soon as the words came out of her lips, she knew she had gone too far. I didn't punch her. Okay? You'd be glad to know that. Okay? I might have thought about it. I might have thought about getting somebody else too, but I didn't punch her. All right? I just said, Wow. And she said, I I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> that's, that's how she, you know how when you say you're sorry, you know, if I, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, kind of flippant, you know. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. And I said, it's, it's, it's okay. That's what I said. It's all right. She said, no, no, I want you to forgive me. I said, I will. <laughs> I didn't say I do. Okay. It's going to take me some time. Okay, I got to work this over. I want to be mad for a while. Okay, because that's a, that's a zinger you put on me. Okay. She, she said, uh, no, I want you to forgive me now because I've asked you and I'm really, really sorry. And she was. She had a repentant heart. 
And she said, and the Bible says, as you forgive, so shall you be forgiven, so you have to forgive me. I said, you're going to pull that out? You're going to trump card me like that? You're going to rook card me right here? Okay. She said, yes, I am, because I want you to forgive me, because I'm sorry. I said, okay, I'll forgive you, just like that. And she said, why the change? Why is it so easy to forgive me? I said, because I got that trump card too. So a couple weeks from now, when I say something real ugly to you, I'm going to pull that out and say, you got to forgive me. Okay. Now, that's a real story. Now, listen, listen. Just like that, what she said to me, what she spoke in Scripture to me was true. I didn't want to hear it, but it's true. If he forgave you, you have to forgive others. And some people in here right now has been carrying this old baggage of unforgiveness, man. It's breaking your stride. You're dragging this old dead thing around. And the whole time God's saying, I forgave you. Let that go. Move forward. I will set you free. And you're not experiencing freedom because you will simply not let it go. So we have a faithfulness to God. A family commitment, fervency to the Lord's day, and a forgiving spirit. And this one uh, is, this one's the most sensitive subject, as if those others are not. Straight out of the counsel of God's word in Nehemiah chapter 10, Nehemiah says, we're going to write this down too. We're going to sign it, seal it, and see it through. And it's financial stewardship. <laughs> Some of y'all especially guess, I know preacher going to talk about money. If you leave today and say, oh, see them preachers, they just talk about money. Let me just go ahead and clear that up. This preacher, on a rare occasion, will talk about money. And if you go to a church, the preacher never talks about money. You're not in a good church, and you're not listening to a good preacher pastor. You say, how's that? Because he's robbing you of a blessing. That's how, or he's not giving, and he's never experienced being under the financial blessing of God. I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher. I'm not a name it and claim it, blab it and grab it preacher. But I'm telling you this. God's word says when you give him your heart and your soul, you let the money follow that, and he'll bless the whole part of you. So what we do sometimes, we say, oh, Jesus saved my soul. I'm going to heaven when I die. I trust him with my forever existence in heaven, but I ain't going to trust him with my money. I need to manage that myself. That's wrong. Did you know that the Bible talks more about material possessions than it does prayer and faith? Why? Because God knows us. And he knows how easy it is for us to take captive what he's given us and start claiming mine, 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 all mine. And God says, no, it ain't. It's all mine. I'm just passing it through to see what you're going to do. And so far, we ain't doing very good. So let's see what it says now in verse 32. Nehemiah says, okay, we're going to write this down. We're going to sign it, seal it, see it through. We accept responsibility for fulfilling the commands, listen to this, to give one-third of a shekel each year from the work of the temple of our God. That's one-third of every shekel. That's a 33% tithe. Sometimes people say, well, I don't believe in the tithe. That's Old Testament. Giving is before the testaments. Giving is before... Melchizedek was given an offering, okay? Before Scripture was, was written, was penned, giving is before Old Testament. And people say, well, I, you know, I, I believe it's Old Testament. If you're one of those, let me just go and clear it. I'm going to set you free. You don't have to tithe because it's Old Testament for you, okay? Well, Old Testament was a third. You ain't doing that either, okay? And also in the Old Testament is a tenth, 
probably not doing that because it's Old Testament. Great. Read the New Testament. Everything required in the Old Testament is, is inoculated with adrenaline and steroids in the New Testament. In the early church, they gave everything they had so everybody had some. You, that's called grace giving. You want to be under the New Testament? <laughs> Give. You did 10% don't apply to you. You a New Testament grace giver? You need to set yourself free and start unloading to the local storehouse, to the local church or ministries around you. All of a sudden, see, when I, we start retracting. Well, okay, maybe. Maybe it's not just Old Testament. Okay. Because the 10th is easy. Listen to what he says now. He says, look on down. I'll just keep reading. He goes, for the work of the temple of our God. He's given it to the, to the storehouse, to the temple, to the church. For the loaves of presentation and for the regular grain offerings and for the regular burnt offerings for the Sabbath. And for the new moons and for the appointed meetings, for the holy offerings, for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel. And for all the work of the temple of our God. He says, they said, we are going to get back to stewardship. So what does that mean? It means our cash. It means our cards. It means our check account. It means our wallet. It means we just let it go. Now you listen. I am a walking, talking testimonial. I did not create the idea of giving. I did not stumble across this by my own brilliance. I was raised in a home where my parents taught me giving. I was raised in a home where my dad allowed me and my older brother to do the papers in Norris, Tennessee with one condition. We do what the homeowner wanted us to do with her paper, and at the end of the week, whatever we made, we gave 10%. I worked for my dad construction in the 70s for $5 an hour cash. That was a lot of money in the 70s. My dad said two, re two requirements. You work as hard or harder than everybody else, so they won't accuse me of favoritism. And you give 10% of whatever I give you in the offering plate on Sunday. And if you fail to meet either one of those, I won't be able to work you anymore. You'll be down at Archer's Food Center making $2.35, and they're going to take out taxes. Okay, I got the memo. And, 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 and my wife was raised the same way. And so we've been givers our whole life. And I want to tell you, if you've never done that, God will set your finances free. I'm telling you that. I'm a testimony of that. My life is an experience of that. I don't bring that much to the table, but trying to be obedient to God, try to honor God and his word, and God goes, I see, what you try. I see how you're trying, and he'll bless you. I'm, I'm telling you. Now, let me tell you what that looks like. In this church, we have a lady in our church, and she's probably in Sunday school class right now, she walks with a cane, and she's faithful. Look her up, Webster's Dictionary. Got her picture in there, okay? She's that kind of faithful. One day, she's sitting out in the lobby. She's in a full-blown sweat, breathing hard. I said, what's the matter with you? She said, I'm tired a little bit. I said, I need to get you some an oxygen or something. She said, no. I said, why are you so tired? She said, I walked to church. Walk down Dry Gap Pike. That'll get you killed, okay? And she doesn't even walk very good. She's faithful. She gives. She don't, she don't have money to give. She gives. And so her car started acting up. That's why she's walking to church. I told her, I said, if I ever hear you walking to church again, I'm going to transfer your membership to Wallace Memorial. Because there's people here that will come and get you, bring you to church. So a couple of months ago, we were talking. A couple of guys said, hey, let's see if we can find her just a, a good used car. 
Well, one of our members found one, got a good deal on it. Yeah, there she is right now. I can't, I can't tell the whole story. She ain't paying attention. We bought her a car. We're going to give it to her after the second service. We're on, we're on screen out there. She's probably hearing me. I don't know why I'm whispering. She don't know. That's what happens. I'm not finished. Now I can get loud. So I have a friend of mine who uh, loves me. I love him. And uh, he supports our ministry. His dad was at my house about five years ago. He was battling an illness that would ultimately take his life. His dad and he have the ability, God has given them the ability to, to develop and accumulate wealth. <laughs> you know, he, he don't trust me with that much money. Okay, I mean, I live good. He lived real good, okay? And so his dad was at my house, and he had accumulated a lot of wealth. And he said, don't do like I did and, and store up a bunch of wealth and, and then get sick and not be able to enjoy your life. He said, I'm going to give you a few keys about money. And if you'll do this, it works. He said, make some money because you're required to according to the Bible. Make some money, spend some money, save some money, and give some money. And if you do that, you'll always have some money. <laughs> That's pretty doggone simple, amen? Okay, that fits my whole being. Okay, easy steps. Make some, spend some, save some, give some. You'll always have some. Well, he passed that same truth on to his son. So his son, uh, is a friend of mine, and he helps with 11B. He helps with missions. He don't go here. He goes to another church. But I opened up my mailbox uh, Friday. Had an envelope in the mailbox. Okay? Inside, inside the envelope was this little check. Okay? He, he blessed us. Y'all want to know what's on there, don't you? I ain't going to tell you. Well, okay, I'll tell you. It's $10,000. Okay. Yeah. Amen. Now, it took me about 30 minutes to white out the church at Sturkey Hills and put my name on there so the bank wouldn't know it. But I think I got it fixed up. So if I'm driving something new next week, praise Jesus. All right? No, he gave it to the church the same week that this message, I didn't, I didn't stage it, the same week that this message comes up and financial stewardship is a point, this happens. The same week that financial stewardship comes up is the same Sunday. That there's a little car sitting out there. I'm telling you, church, you don't have to believe it. You don't have to believe a word of it. You can keep on living your life for yourself. You can keep on having your own philosophies, theologies, and ideologies about life and about God and about his connection to you. You can keep on doing like you've been doing. And that's fine. It doesn't bother me one bit. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Okay, And if you will engage and jump in to what he's calling you to, he will bless you and you will find yourself under the good hand of our Father. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes and we're finished. Nehemiah, what an amazing chapter. Nehemiah called his people to a different level of relationship with God. And the pastor at the church at Sturkey Hills has been called.
to a new level of faithfulness to God. And I'm inviting you. You may have just visited today. You, you may have been coming for a while. I'm inviting you to a new level of relationship with the God who created you. Nehemiah says, I'm going to put this down in writing. We're going to sign it, seal it, and see it through. We're going to be faithful to God and his word. We're going to have a new family commitment. We're going to have a fervency to the Lord's day. We're going to have forgiving spirits. And we're going to move to a new level of financial stewardship. He wrote that 2,500 years ago, and it's still encouraging to us today. And on the back of your worship guide are those points. I hope you filled in the last three blanks. Because I want you to pray. I want you to write on there. God, this is what you're speaking to me. This is what you're inviting me to. I surrender to you. I, I want to give myself to you more fully. Because I want to experience all that you have for my life. And maybe you're here today. And you don't have a relationship with God because you've never given yourself to God through Jesus, his son. Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to God the Father but through him. And maybe for you it begins, your journey begins by simply crying out to God and saying, God, I'm a sinner and I know it. And you're God and you know all things, so you know what a sinner I am. I'm sorry for my sins. I confess them. I repent and turn my back on them. I'm, I'm running after you, God. I feel you inviting me into your presence. Forgive my sin. Send Jesus into my life to save me. I believe that he died on a cross I believe he bled for my sin. I believe he rose from the dead on the third day. And I believe he wants to save me right now, so I receive it. I want Jesus to come into my life. Thank you for hearing a sinner's prayer. Thank you for saving me on this day. Help me live for you, filled with your spirit from this day forward, that I would honor you the rest of my life. And for the rest of us who are already made that profession that confession maybe it's time that we just rededicate ourselves and say I want to be like Nehemiah and his people I want to be serious about my walk my journey my pilgrimage with you God you're more serious about it than I could ever understand thank you for loving somebody like me